Hello. Welcome, dear sisters, back to our sessions on biblical womanhood. We're on lesson four, Consequences of the Fall. And so far, we've been looking at the first three chapters of Genesis, and we've learned several main points. One being that men and women were created equal, but different. Another important thing we have considered is that equality does not mean sameness. Although the man and the woman were similar, they were different. The man was designed to protect, provide for, and lead the woman. And on the other hand, the woman was uniquely fashioned to be a complementary companion to the man. She was to help him in the work that God had created him to do. As married women, we can fulfill this calling of, of God by joyfully submitting to the leadership of our husbands and also by showing them proper respect as the head of our homes. Unmarried women can carry out their biblical role by using their time and energy and resources to help others while respectfully submitting to their proper authorities. We learned that the first man and the first woman were perfectly content in the paradise that God had created for them to live in. Adam was gratified with his responsibility to govern and oversee his family. Their relationship was so perfect that his headship over his wife was carried out with no taint of sin or selfishness. He didn't use his headship to tyrannize or dominate her but rather as a way to protect her and to express his deep love for her. Likewise, Eve was very content and happy in her position of lesser authority as Adam's helper. She submitted to him not out of a sense of inferiority, nor as a slave dutifully obeys a master. No, her submission was also a sign of her deep love and respect for her husband. No self-centeredness or willfulness spoiled their relationship in any way. Adam and Eve were one in every regard, and that was God's perfect design for a glorious marriage. Their life together was like a magical fairy tale. They had perfect communion with one another as well as with the Lord. But then something dreadful happened. The serpent bypassed the leadership of the man and went after the woman, who by design was the follower. He deceived Eve by tempting her to doubt God's word, to distrust his character, and to question his love for her. Under this deception, she fell into transgression and led the entire human race into ruin and destruction. Unlike Eve, Adam was not deceived, but he was persuaded by his wife to willfully sin against the light and the understanding that God had given him. Eve not only sinned by disobeying the clear command of the Lord, but also in acting independently of her husband. Adam not only sinned by disobeying God's command as well, but, but also by giving in to his wife and not exercising the authority that God had given him. Both of them twisted God's intention for their union and reversed their roles. And thus began the battle of the sexes. 
Marriage has never been the same since. We considered last time that we are just as easily tempted as Eve is, and probably even more so. Because of that, we need to be aware of our enemy's devices. It's so important to recognize how spiritually disastrous it is for us to ever reason with temptation instead of rejecting it immediately and fleeing from it. We must guard our hearts and minds against even the smallest possibility of falsehood in the Word of God. It's critical that we also recognize Satan's attempts to make us discontented with God's purpose and his plan for us as he did with Eve. Our arch enemy still to this day accuses us to God and God to us. Just as he sought to alienate Adam and Eve's affections from God and destroy their allegiance to him, so he seeks to do the same to us. So it's imperative that we demolish every argument and every philosophy that would deny God's word and attempt to make itself look better or more intelligent or more beautiful than the Lord's design and purposes for his creation. And radical feminism is one of those unbiblical precepts. So sin entered the world. And as the English poet John Milton said, paradise was lost. The sweet, unstained communion that Adam and Eve had enjoyed with the Lord was broken, and it would never be the same. Not only was their relationship with the Lord damaged, but their relationship with each other was as well. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to pick up the story where we stopped in our last session. So please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 19. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. Sin destroyed the perfect harmony Adam and Eve had enjoyed, and it brought conflict and strife into their marriage. 
but not only into their marriage, it brought conflict into every relationship since that time. For the first time, we see the shifting of blame and the pointing of fingers. The fall of sin never created new roles for Adam and Eve, but it made it more difficult for them to carry out their God-ordained roles. Although the fall brought no change into those individual roles, it did bring, bring about made other major changes. So we're going to look at the curses their sin incurred in the opposite order that the scripture records them. So I'd like to begin with a view of God's curse on the man. When the Lord asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know his location but rather to humble Adam and encourage him to explain why he was hiding. It's sort of like when your little toddler comes into the room with cookie crumbs all over his face and you ask, what have you been into? You're not looking for information. You're trying to provoke a confession. And at the very end of chapter two, we're told that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. In their innocence, they had not been ashamed but now their eyes were opened. Their newly found shame, guilt, remorse, and fear led them to hide from the God who had only bestowed kindness and generosity on them. God knows all of our sins, but he desires genuine confession. Adam said, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. He had admitted that he had eaten of the forbidden fruit, but it wasn't a penitent confession. Adam was unmistakably guilty, but when confronted by his maker, he tried to shift the blame partially to the woman that God had given him to be his companion and his helpmate. And then he partly blamed God for giving her to him. He spoke the truth but insinuated that if it hadn't been for the wife that God had given him, he would not have eaten. He suggested that somehow God was an accessory to his sin. It would be like your toddler saying, well, mommy, you brought, bought the cookies and gave them to me. Well, just as the young child's excuse and blame shifting would not make him less guilty, neither would the man's. Eve could tempt Adam but she could not force him to eat. God had made the whole earth for man's enjoyment and pleasure. He had given him dominion over it, and now this great earthly blessing was turned into a curse by sin. His employment, which had been such a delight to him, would now be a struggle. He would no longer be able to enjoy the delicacies of the garden, but must eat the herbs of the field. And it would require diligent cultivation Life would now hold sorrow, disease, disasters, and death. I want you to notice that the curse directly related to the sphere of the man. He was the one primarily responsible to work the ground and to provide for his wife. But now his living would be made with great difficulty. The fertility of the ground was greatly impaired. It would take a lot of toil and trouble to fertilize and cultivate the ground, and the life of the man would be a life of labor to the end. Last year, my husband and I were in the Midwest, and the church where we were ministering was in a farming community. 
We stayed in the home of one of the elders of the church who was also a farmer, a very hardworking farmer. And those who make the living, their living off of the land generally are hardworking people because they must deal with cold and heat, too much rain and too little rain, mildew, insects, thorns and thistles that are prolific. The ground must be properly plowed and prepared before planting produce. And then it has to be cultivated and fertilized and constantly weeded. And because of that, it takes a lot of hard work to grow vegetables. And it takes just as much work to keep the weeds from taking over. All of that was a result of the fall. And just as God had said, the man would die. The sentence of death on those who ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had been pronounced. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Man would have been immortal if he had never sinned. But as soon as he disobeyed God, the dying process began. Of course, the woman also immediately began to age. But that wasn't the only curse that was pronounced on her. When God asked Eve, what have you done? She, like her husband, was willing to acknowledge that she had eaten of the fruit, but she tried to shift the blame and lessen the seriousness of her transgression. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Instead of taking responsibility, she pointed the finger of blame at the serpent, but she was guilty before God. Satan is the tempter, but we are the sinners. And James 1 says that we are enticed to sin by our own lust. Well, the Lord told her that the first consequence of her sin would be that her sorrow would be greatly multiplied in bearing and delivering children. This would include all the grief and pain from conception to birth, the nausea, the fatigue, the danger of miscarriage, the bearing of the additional weight, and the agony of childbirth. Every pain of childbearing speaks of the fatal consequences of sin. Not only would she experience great discomfort and pain in pregnancy and delivery, but she would know the, the sorrow that comes from the training of children. There's tremendous joy and fulfillment and nurturing and rearing children, but there's also a lot of disappointment, struggle, and spiritual warfare. I am blessed to have eight adorable grandchildren. And I remember when our oldest grandson was a little guy, he was just so precious and sweet. And he just had a very gentle spirit. And he and I had a very special bond. I just loved that little redhead. But I also remember the first time he ever spoke to me disrespectfully. I was asking him a question, and I can still distinctly remember the occasion when he looked at me and he was really disrespectful, and my heart just sank as I thought, what happened to my sweet little boy? And you know, they're all sinners, just like we are. All of these sweet, precious children are sinners. And when we really realize that, it's disheartening to us. It was crushing to me, but I thought back to Eve and I thought, can you imagine the distress that she would have experienced the first time her child defiantly disobeyed her? 
and that she, and when she realized that his transgression was because of her transgression, now her children, her grandchildren, and all future generations would be born as sinners. I'd like, like for you to take note that just as the curse on Adam affected his sphere of responsibility, so the curse on Eve was in her sphere of responsibility as the giver and nurturer of life. And the second part of the curse would impact her role as Adam's helper and subordinate. The second consequence of her sin was that her desire would be for her husband, but he would rule over her. What this literally means is that she would desire to control her husband, but he would be the one in authority over her. This aspect of the curse anticipated the marital strife that would now surface because of a husband's oppressive rule over his wife and a wife's desire to dominate and lead her husband. The Hebrew word that's translated as desire in our English Bibles, I understand, is a little difficult to translate into English. But the exact same word is used in the very next chapter of Genesis in a different context. And when we examine that, I think it helps to give us a little better understanding of the meaning. In Genesis 4, we read that Cain brought an offering of produce that he had grown in the ground to the Lord, and his brother Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock as an offering. Abel's offering was acceptable to God, but Cain's wasn't. And the Bible says that Cain was very angry. And in Genesis 4, 7, the Lord warned him, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The picture there is of sin is as a crouching lion waiting to pounce. It wants to rule. It wants to control. Dr. John MacArthur says that God was essentially telling Cain, sin wants to control you, but you must master it. The term means to seek to control over. And in the same way that sin wanted to control Cain, now the woman would desire to control her husband. She would no longer be content to be his helper. The curse meant that Eve's desire would be to usurp Adam's headship and he would subdue that desire in harshness. So the woman's proper submissiveness and the man's proper authority were both distorted at the fall. Here, the seeds of all the women's liberation movements and all male chauvinism were planted. Ever since Adam and Eve were in the garden, women have had a sinful propensity to usurp the authority of the man, and men have had a sinful tendency to abuse their headship. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, he would have led her with love and wisdom, and she would have always obeyed with humility and patience. But Matthew Henry said, our own sin and folly make our yoke heavy. Well, the Lord reasoned with Adam and Eve, but he didn't try to convince Satan of his sin. He didn't debate with him. And the reason for this is because Satan was already doomed for destruction. God cursed the serpent as the instrument that Satan used to beguile the woman. Now, some people think that the serpent had feet before the fall or, or possibly walked erect. But however it looked, we know that it went from being a model of grace and elegance 
to becoming a type of all that is repulsive and disgusting. Now it would grovel with its head in the dirt. But the higher application is to the real tempter. The spiritual serpent was already fallen, but now he was even more degraded. He was cursed of God, and he would be the enemy of mankind. Satan's attack on our first parents brought disharmony and conflict, and it corrupted the family. It also paved the way for a multitude of other sins like polygamy, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, rape, incest, and prostitution, and every one of these would undermine the family. Our crafty arch enemy knows that when the home is weakened, all of society is weakened. John MacArthur said the curse hits mankind at the core of its most needed human relationship, the need for men and women to help each other live productive, meaningful, and happy lives. That's why the study of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is so important for Christians to understand. Well, at this point in the narrative, everything looks pretty hopeless. And I'm so glad that it, that's not the end of the story. Please look at Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What a glorious promise. This is the dawning of the gospel. God promised that we would not have to live under the power of Satan. He would provide a deliverer, his own dear son. John Wesley said, no sooner was the wound given than the remedy was provided and revealed. By faith in this promise, our first parents, as well as the patriarchs and all who have been born of God since that time have been saved and justified. Satan would bruise Christ's heel through his sufferings and the sufferings of his people. But on the cross, Christ, the seed of the woman, would crush his head. He would destroy him, demolishing his power and overthrowing his kingdom. By his death, he was completely victorious over the devil and all his emissaries, and he obtained the salvation of his people. Satan's power was destroyed by the offspring of the very one he had deceived. So while the fall of our spiritual parents brought guilt, depravity, and death to our whole race, we are not left without hope. Because of what Christ did for us and by the grace of God, we can live our lives according to God's good design for his glory. This world is broken and we are sinners living with sinners. Consequently, we have to deal with our own sin, the sin of others against us. We must deal with pain and disappointment and suffering. But in the midst of all of that, we can enjoy happy, fruitful lives and gain just a little glimpse of heaven as we seek to fulfill God's high calling for us as women while on this earth. And the best and most important blessing of all is that our good Father, who made this amazing provision for us, will receive the glory that he is so deserving of. And that's what it's all about. We're to live as biblical women. We pray that our husbands would live as biblical men so that God is glorified in our homes 
as he deserves to be. Thank you for joining me this time, and I pray that the Lord will bless you and help you as you seek to become the woman that he would desire for you to be.